I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Sarafina Pekala, and this is Kill My Darlings, an interactive fantasy writing podcast. The witches have a prophecy that you would listen to this episode. Hello, I'm Hayden Rogers, and this week we are going to be getting into some more magical mechanics in my world building, namely the nitty-gritty of how people interact with magic and cast spells. Full disclosure, you might want to go listen to episode 3, Kill My Magical Science, before you listen to this one because it covers a lot of the basics of what magic actually is in this world and so on. Also, my forever disclaimer, everything in this episode is subject to change, and I hope it does, because that's kind of the whole point. As usual, let's look at some comments first. This week I got feedback by messages and emails, and comments on the blog, of course. Laura commented on Instagram, and we spoke about potential other names instead of using magician. She suggested magicianers, um, mages, and magicists. That last one is actually a bit funny, because it's a name I'd previously thought of myself um in a, in another another life <laughs> in another version of this novel she also suggested potentially just respelling magicians with an ions suffix rather than an ian suffix um which is always an option luke emailed in and also suggested playing with some suffixes such as uh, mancy or craft i want to play with those he voted yes to pharaoh in the main character naming discussion as well um Though my issue now is that most people who are pro the name Pharaoh have also suggested making it a bad name on purpose. For those who don't know, Pharaoh is linked to pigs giving birth, but it's also a name I was considering uh, for my main character. People have suggested that maybe he was teased for his name or his parents didn't like him or he was named that way on purpose. However, I wasn't intending to sort of give him that drama and... (laughs) It can be a bit cliched, the underdog becoming a popular and important hero. I don't necessarily want to draw attention to the pig thing or make him a sort of bullied character. So there's been a lot of support for the name Pharaoh, but the question now is, is Pharaoh still a good name if I don't lean into the pigs giving birth thing? Is it just a good name in its own right? Kenya caught up on a few episodes, dropping comments on the blog. On episode four, she suggested that there might not be a name for magic users at all, if everyone can do it. And in fact, those who couldn't, for whatever reason, would have the name. Alan, who also commented on episode four, had similar thoughts. He replied to Kenya, suggesting that maybe there's levels and that magician or whatever term is used would apply to someone who is more skilled, like how everyone can cook, but not everyone is a cook. Um, He also pointed out that a magiozoologist in a world of magical creatures 
is just a zoologist, which is something I'd actually been contemplating myself and definitely something I need to explore now going forward. Alan also suggested uh, I instead focus on the names of different specializations in magic. And, well, spoilers, but that's coming. Kenya also commented on the episode two post with a really great and insightful dissection about authentically writing experiences that you haven't personally lived and how that's different in fantasy writing. I really encourage you to go check out her full comment. Again, that's on the episode two blog post because it sums up the situation really well. But basically it helped me confirm something that I felt like I've been leaning towards, which amounts to that advice I gave in episode one, I think. The best way to write a progressive character is to write a good character. So the best thing I can do is write an interesting, complex, compelling individual who also happens to be diverse. I can write with authority on gay characters and those struggles if I choose to. I know what it feels like to be oppressed. But when it comes to POC or women or disabled people or any of these other minority groups I want to see more of and write about, Without truly understanding that experience, the best thing I can do is just try and influence the writing landscape to be more diverse and inclusive. And I do that through creating these characters who happen to be diverse, rather than trying to explore their experiences. Also, I absolutely love that we get to have discussions like this on this podcast. I think that's really cool. There's still lots of discussion to be had, and you can be a part of it. In fact, I would love you to be a part of it. All you have to do is leave a comment on an episode blog at haydenrogers.net slash killmydarlings or visit me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or Tumblr and send a message or comment. Just search for Kill My Darlings podcast on any of those platforms. Of course, links for all of these things are in the description. There's really no one way to cast a spell in the fantasy genre, but there are a few ways that set the standard. It could be through words or it could be silent. It might be through elaborate actions or simple ones. Perhaps you don't need an action at all. Maybe it's all about the ingredients, the physical things that you put together to create a magical reaction. It's not even uncommon for it to be a combination of all three, or any combination really. In some worlds, the rules are hard and fast, and in others they're more flexible and depend on who is doing it and what is being done. Who can cast these spells, and at what cost? Is spellcasting only for the elite mages, a rare gift, or is it part of the everyday? Let's examine a popular example. In the Harry Potter series, it seems as though speaking the magic words while waving your wand in the right way is how they control magic to cast a spell. So that's words, movements, and a magical device, or a physical component. However, we soon see many adults possess the ability to cast spells without the use of magic words, or sometimes even without a wand, and thus without the usual gestures. There seems to be a correlation between power and wandless wordless magic. The more powerful you are, the less you rely on these different aspects of spellcasting. So the rules are there, but they're not hard and fast. I examined the style of J.K. Rowling and the world-building of Harry Potter in this week's Appendices episode, which is out now. In Whipworld, there is also variety and flexibility in how a spell is cast. In fact, there could be as much variety in spellcasting as there are people who use magic. I'll get into that shortly. 
As discussed in episode 3, humans and human-like species have a kind of psychic link with the energy of magic. They have evolved in a magical environment to be able to control this energy with their mind. What is this connection like? Is it just a feeling that's there? Do they see magic or have to tune in with it? How aware are people of the science behind the ability? And how natural is it? I think given the setting of magical science and exploration that we've been discussing over the last few episodes, there'd be a few competing theories in Whipworld. They'd be aware the link is there, obviously, and their knowledge of magic as a force of nature would lead to certain conclusions. However, I don't think that they'd really know the how or why. Using magic or spellcasting has been around for all of recorded history in Whipworld, but only now are they discovering what that actually means. If it's been around for such a long time, that means there would have been ancient practices for casting spells, which have evolved over time. This is true of all knowledge, of course. Our ceiling becomes the floor of future generations. I like to imagine this takes a shape of evolving specificity. So, slightly unpredictable magical effects from vague spellcasting in the days of yore, becoming more and more specific magical effects from precise spellcasting. As an example, it's the difference between generally manifesting fire and specifically lighting a candle from across the room. If our setting is the magical equivalent of the Industrial Revolution, then we are in an era of growth in spellcasting. In fact, in the prose from last episode, episode 4, I mention a bunch of new domestic spells. I think these very targeted, goal-specific but low-level spells would be a newish trend of the last 30 to 50 years. Spells would have to be developed for new technologies. So in more primitive days, spells would have been mostly pertaining to the natural environment, and perhaps a bit vague in their results. So how do you actually cast a spell? I already had some ideas about this, which luckily adapted quite well. We know magic is in the mind. And there must be an on and off switch, like a feeling, otherwise people would be doing magic 24-7. I had to start thinking about a mental process that would represent this connection to magic. Basically, I determined that in order to cast a spell, you must have to be able to conjure that effect in your mind's eye. Then that mental picture could be manifested by magical energy in reality. You think it into existence. However, that leaves a lot of room for interpretation. So perhaps you add more elements to your spell to make it work more specifically. And you'd have to practice it a bunch of times in order to find the mental pathway to make it work for you. Otherwise, you run the risk of generalized results for your spell that might backfire spectacularly or be lackluster. In this way, creativity and or problem-solving skills would actually play a part in spellcasting. Having said that, we all process things differently. We know people learn and process information in varied ways. I'm sure you've all heard of the terms for different learners. Visual learners, kinesthetic learners, auditory learners, and reading-writing learners. There's also rarely one right way to do something. So, at the end of the day, casting the same spell might be very different from person to person. Someone might be all visual, imagining in precise detail, or creating physical images. Some might write down what they are creating. Others would use robust physicality to create effects and use literal ingredients. And some would use spoken word or maybe even music 
actually definitely music because it's highly emotional, has been proven as an excellent learning tool, and is deeply connected to the psyche. Not everyone would play to their strengths, though. Just as there is standardised education, there might be standardised spellcasting. Books and volumes of recipe-like spells, which when followed will produce somewhat similar results. But the truly gifted magicians, or magic users, of Whipworld would be the ones who find things that work best for them and excel on their own terms. In fact, I've just thought of this, there would probably be schools following specific practitioners of magic and their unique styles. If anyone is familiar with acting theory, there are a bunch of different techniques you can use. They all try and achieve the same things, but they go about it in different ways with different terminology. Really, art in general is a good way of thinking about magic. We're all capable of creating art, but we're not all capable of doing all art equally, and talent plays a part. So, casting spells requires time and dedication to getting it right, and also finding your own magical language that helps you get results. Maybe you find that you're really good at getting results for spells involving water, but not so good at spells involving creating illusions. Or maybe you can't be bothered or don't have the opportunity to find out. For someone to excel at many things is rare in any world. Thus, we have specialization in fields of magic. But more about that in another episode. There needs to be a cost balance too. If you can just make anything happen with your mind, then someone would have brought on an apocalypse by now. Firstly, imagination has limits and is a muscle that you can train. Our circumstances and experiences, as well as freedom of mind, can block our creativity. Likewise, comprehension is a roadblock. I couldn't go into a hospital and operate on a patient, and a doctor probably couldn't teach a class on singing technique. Practice makes perfect. Just because you have the will to do something doesn't mean it will work out the first time. Some of us even make podcasts about that fact. And lastly, concentration is exhausting. Ever come home from a day of study or a desk job feeling sapped of energy? Maybe even hungry. Concentration and mental processes have a very real physical effect on the body. All of these things create a series of checks and balances that stop spellcasting from being godlike. In thinking about the more widely known spells, I think there would be well-loved spellbooks in which collections of spells would be published, probably even with several editions like an encyclopedia. Some potential names they came up with were Homespun Spells, Encyclopedia Magica, and The Magician's Pocket Reference for Everyday Magic. What do you think? And while there could be spells for every little thing, I think most people would be able to extrapolate lighting a candle to, say, lighting a fireplace with a little practice. But then again, some might need the extra guidance after accidentally setting their drapes on fire a few times, and that wouldn't stop people from selling a spell that makes the most glorious and warm fire. As I said before, I think a lot of spells would take on recipe-like forms. Here's an example. Dishwashing spell creates a small dishwashing whirlpool in your tub or sink, guaranteed to make your crockery shine. Ingredients. A tub or sink. Hot water for washing. Soap, a brush or cloth. Method. 1. Fill a sink with hot water and a small piece of soap. 2. Place dirty dishes and a cloth or brush in the sink. 3. With one hand swirling the water and an eye on the cloth or brush, imagine a sailing ship caught in a whirlpool moving anti-clockwise. 
I also think it's definitely possible for more than one person to participate in casting a single spell, as in you could help or join in. Of course, people could cast different aspects of a complicated spell, but I mean in the real world, we're so capable of tuning into one another and working as teams. In fact, most creatures are. So it makes sense that group effort would be possible. Spells with big effects, spells with big effects would perhaps even need multiple participants. And to bring learning styles back into this, some people work better in groups and others work better alone. I think, given everything we've just spoken about, there'd be great cultural implications to spellcasting. Class and access to education would have a huge impact. There'd be family recipes for certain spells, closely guarded spell secrets. Maybe one school has a proud tradition of excellent healing magic. Certain cultures would teach their specific spellcasting practices too. In fact, mindset can vary so much between real-world cultures that we have to assume some whipworld culture might have a really great handle on a certain kind of magic that other cultures struggle to do. But similarly, they could really suck at other spells. They might have even invented that magic and others want to know their secrets. There's a lot to unpack and explore there and I think it's linking in well with what we've already set up in recent episodes. So, story time. This week's short story is an attempt at putting this whole spellcasting thing into words. It's entitled, A Recipe for Rain. Mrs. Alba knocked loudly and waited less than a moment before abruptly pushing the door to the bedroom open. Her twin daughters squirmed in their beds, groaning in protest. Rin, Sal, time to get up, Mrs. Alba sang brassily. She bustled over to the curtains and flung them open. Morning light streamed in, illuminating the modest wooden room. I need your help as soon as you're dressed. Why? answered Sal. The teenage girls were both sitting up now, using hands as makeshift combs to brush bushy black hair out of their brown faces. Neither were very impressed at being woken up so abruptly. Because we're doing the rain spell, said Mrs. Alba, staring at something out the window. Rin perked up a little out of curiosity. So it's happening then, she said. Yes, we can't wait any longer. It'll have to happen. Today, this morning. Mrs. Alba turned to face her girls. Now up. Your father is down in the kitchen making you a big breakfast. Once you've eaten it, straight to work. With that, she strode out of the room as quickly as she'd come. Within ten minutes, the twins had dressed in work clothes and wearily dawdled downstairs to the dining room. Their family had lived in this old farmhouse for generations and its age showed, but it was sturdy and inviting. One of those homes that felt like it had a personality of its own. Corners crowded with armchairs and bookshelves, crackling fireplaces, and no wall without at least one landscape painting. Mr. Alba, a tall, lean man with little hair left, who at present was wearing a floral apron, had just finished setting the table. Poached eggs, a pile of toast with butter fried tomatoes, and a large kettle of tea was waiting for them. Excited for your first rain spell, girls? Mr. Alba said chirpily. He had obviously been awake for hours. Yeah, it'll be great, Rin replied. Need food to be excited, said Sal, taking a seat. Well, I've made plenty, so eat up. You'll need your best for this. Tomatoes? Mr. Alba began serving the fried tomatoes onto their plates. Mrs. Alba appeared behind them. Finally up, girls. Good. Hurry up with breakfast. When you're done, leave the dishes for your father and meet me out the back. 
They'll be out soon, dear, but I think you should tell them the story, Mr. Alba said. They don't need it, dear. They need to eat. I don't want to distract. I'd like to hear this story, Rin chimed in. We can eat while you talk. Go on, dear. It's an important day. They should know why, said Mr. Alba. Mrs. Alba sighed. Very well, but only if I see eating, she motioned for the girls to start. Well, this spell was given to me by my mother. She was given it by her mother, and it's gone on like that for seven generations of Alba women. She paused as if she was done. The twins looked at each other, confused. And it's important to your family because... Mr. Alba said, encouraging her along. Mrs. Alba's eyes rolled. Because the family legend says Rita Alba invented this particular spell herself. It's a family recipe for rain. Sal, less listening, more eating. Right, said Mr. Alba. So, girls, today you will become the next generation to learn it. Not if they take much longer, Mrs. Alba chided. Mr. Alba ignored her. You can't learn this in spell books or a fancy school. It's very special. And what else about Rita, dear? Ah, yes, Rita was apparently able to cast this spell all by herself and call down the reins whenever she pleased. Of course, the spell I have must not be the same one because it needs at least two Alba women. Pity, because I have an extra set of hands but I'm still left waiting. The twins had quickly finished their breakfast, half out of pressure from Mrs Alba and half from their now piqued curiosity. Soon they were out the back of the house with their mother. The day, like so many recent days, was hot and dry. The grass had started to turn brown and crisp, and the forest beyond looked like one of the faded landscapes hanging inside. In front of them were three metal wash tubs filled with water and floating articles of clothing. We're doing washing, said Sal. It's part of the spell, Mrs. Alba replied. The first step is we're going to wash the clothes and sing the song. Song? But we don't know it, said Rin. You do. It's the song I sang to you when I put you to bed as children. Mrs. Alba could see they were trying to recall it, so she sang. Little cloud, high above, bring a crowd of those you love. Clouds up high, weave a thirst, fill the sky and start to burst. The twins were grinning, filled with memories, and held hands as they joined their mother for the last few lines. Mrs. Alba softened, seeing them remember countless bedtimes. Of course we remember, said Sal. Good, their mother replied. Then let's get to work. As you wash, remember this is a spell. You must concentrate like any other spell, but from start to finish, this will take at least half an hour or more. That's a long time to hold the spell in your mind. This is why we sing the song. No matter what instructions I give, once we start, you must keep singing. Just listen and keep singing and holding the spell in your mind. I'm nervous, said Rin. You'll be fine, Mrs. Alba replied. Our gardens need this rain to grow, to make enough food to feed not just us, but other households too. Seeing her words were not particularly comforting, she added, We're all working together, you're not doing this alone. Rin smiled meekly. Then they began. For twenty minutes, they washed the clothes in the tubs as they sang their childhood lullaby to the clouds. Mrs. Alba had told them that they had to clean everything properly, because they would soon hang them out, and that action had to mean something when they did it. No use hanging out dirty clothes, she said. That's like lighting a fire with wet wood. 
Already the strain of holding the spell was difficult for the twins. It was an intense connection in their minds, like trying to listen to two things at once. When the clothes were clean, Mrs. Alba motioned for them to begin hanging them out. The clothesline was shaped like a giant umbrella, except that between the spokes which protruded from the central pole were rows of taut lines. Still they sang the song over and over, holding images of rain in their minds as they pegged each item up. By the time they'd done it, thirty minutes had come and gone. The twins' heads had started to pound. Unfortunately, hopeful glances skyward revealed nothing but clear blue. This is the last stretch, girls, Mrs. Alba said in a soft, serious tone. Keep it up, you're doing great. We need to turn the line now. The girls knew what she meant. The clothesline rotated, like a wheel on a spoke, if the wind was strong enough or someone pushed it. Rin reached out to start turning, but Mrs. Alba held up her hand, motioning for her to stop. No, Rin, with the wind. She understood, but her heart sank at the idea of adding even more to the spell, which was already weighing down her mind so much. She lingered on the pain and effort a moment too long and could feel the spell slip slightly from her mind. She gasped. Frantically, she started chanting the song to try and regain control. Little cloud, high above, bring a crowd of those you love. Her head throbbed and she crushed her eyelids together, sending hot tears running down her cheeks. Suddenly, she was enveloped by a fierce hug from both sides. She opened her eyes to see her mother had wrapped herself around her two daughters, chanting loudly with Rin. After a moment, the spell had come into focus again and Mrs. Alba released them, smiling kindly with wet eyes. Then her daughters saw something they never expected. Their mother began dancing in a wide circle around the washing line. She moved about wildly without any clear pattern and beckoned them to join. So they did. Two generations of Alba women kicked up dry earth from their dancing and raised their family's old lullaby to the sky. The wind began to blow, picking up speed in the circle they made. The clothesline creaked as it turned. Here we go, girls, called Mrs. Alba. Excitement rushed through them all. They could feel the spell taking hold, and suddenly, with an end in sight, the weight in their mind was not so heavy. Joy crackled through their song as they all freed their voices. It would have been a strange sight to anyone arriving now. Three women, moving like the wind, running and prancing in a circle, practically yelling a children's lullaby, and wind whipping their clothes about. Then, as laughter rippled through them, thunder rippled through the air. A dark cloud was blooming above. The three picked up speed, running, leaping, fighting to be heard over the wind around them and spluttering through dusty air. Release it, called Mrs. Alba. With uncanny synchronicity, they all flung their arms skyward, skipping to a stop as they sang one final time. Clouds up high, weave a thirst, fill the sky and start to burst. Silence. Then the rain fell. Lightning streaked through the cloud above and huge wet droplets splashed on dusty earth. They all screamed with delight, running into hug. Utterly exhausted, they stood in the downpour, propping themselves up on each other. Mrs. Alba kissed both her daughters on their heads. That's my girls. Alba women indeed.
That story was inspired actually by real world events where it seems that whenever I hang out my washing, it starts to rain. Also, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but the stories are actually all available to read on the episode blog that they're from. Speaking of which, now is the time. I really want you to stop by and let me know your thoughts or just say, hi, I'm listening. Um, you can do that on the blog at Hayden Rogers, that's R-O-D-G-E-R-S dot net slash killmydarlings or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or Tumblr. Just search for Kill My Darlings Podcast on any of those platforms. Links, as always, are in the description. And real talk for a second. I really do want to hear from you guys. I genuinely mean it when I say I'd love your feedback or for you to just say hi. There's supposedly a whole lot of you out there listening and I just want to confirm you exist. And I dream of the little community we could share and that we're starting to see come together. So do stop by somewhere and say anything. (laughs) Also, there are ways to make it easy. If you sign up to email alerts, which is on the website, the blog posts are literally delivered to your inbox each week. Or if writing in just isn't your style, if you don't want to, but you still want to show your support, I've just set up a Patreon account. You can donate as little as one single dollar a month to say, hey, I'm here and I like this and keep me going. But also by doing so, patrons of any amount will be part of the Kill My Darlings community there and receive regular updates. Again, making it easy. So you can become a patron at patreon.com slash killmydarlingspodcast. Okay, I'll stop asking for validation now. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to killing some darlings with you soon. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 